Hey men, my name is Mace, and I serve as the Men's Discipleship Coordinator here at FaithBridge. FaithBridge Men exists to create a movement among men in our church and our community where men can experience the life-transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, develop authentic community with other men, and live a life of eternal significance. Our theme for the entire spring season is fight the good fight. Life is tough. It's a battle. Temptation and trial are around every corner. But on our deathbed, we want to be able to look our loved ones in the eye and say, like the Apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight. We want to be men who fight the good fight, men who believe the true gospel and are being transformed by the gospel. This episode comes from session three of our men's study on the New Testament letter of 1 Timothy. In this section of the letter, the Apostle Paul gives the qualifications for those who would serve as leaders in the church as overseers or deacons. But what we find is that for the most part, Paul is describing what it looks like to be a mature Christian, what it looks like to be a mature man, a man who fights for character and a man who fights for truth. So who's your hero? Who's your, who's your idol? Who's, who do you look up to? Is, is it a, a father figure, a mentor figure? A successful businessman, who's your hero? Who do you look up to? While I am sure that whoever is coming to your mind certainly does have a number of commendable traits, I also know that we have a a tendency to elevate traits that are more in line with what the, the world tells us is important than what the word tells us is important. And so the, the question is, what sort of men is the Lord looking for? And as he's looking for men to lead his church, what type of men is he, he looking for? That's what we're going to get into as we continue this journey through 1 Timothy and 1 Timothy chapter 3. As you recall, the, the problem that um, compelled Paul to write this letter is that his protege, Timothy, is in Ephesus. He's leading the church in Ephesus, and there's these false teachers that are, are coming in and plaguing the church. They're preaching a false gospel, trying to get people to turn away from the true gospel, and they're essentially these Jewish pharisaical legalists um, trying to get people to forsake the salvation of grace alone, uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so Paul is writing to address this problem. And one of the things that he's going to tell Timothy to do to combat this false teaching is to appoint godly leaders for the church. And that's what we're going to get into in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, just a, a little bit of context and background. We're going to see two different church offices discussed in this chapter. The first one is going to be the office of overseer. The, the Greek word for overseer is episkopos, epi meaning over, and skopos from where we get the word scope. So the the episkopos is someone who looked over the entire church. And and you can probably hear that episkopos is where we get the word episcopal from. And it's also where we get the word bishop from. And so an overseer is the same thing as an episcopal, uh, episkopos, same thing as uh, a bishop. 
And throughout the New Testament, there, there are other synonyms used for this office as well. So um, overseer is also the same thing as an elder. And the Greek word for elder is presbuteros, from where we get Presbyterian from. And then one other synonym, so we have episkopos, we have presbuteros, overseer, elder, and then another synonym for the same office of leadership in the church is the pastor or the shepherd. So um, one of the ways that we know that these, these words are being used synonymously throughout the New Testament is as we survey the rest of the New Testament. So for example, in Titus chapter one, Paul is writing to another one of his protégés, Titus, and he, he outlines the qualifications of an elder, and the, the list virtually matches what we're gonna see as the qualifications of an overseer here in 1 Timothy 3. Or in Acts chapter 20, Paul is uh, summoning to himself it's, uh, and the elders of the Ephesian church, and then Paul says to the elders, he says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd, to pastor the church of God. And so overseers, our elders, our pastors, and their job is to be the servant leaders of the church. And so the first part of 1 Timothy 3, Paul is gonna give qualifications for this office of overseer, the office of elder, the office of pastor. And then he's gonna go into the qualifications for another office in the church, deacon. And the Greek word for deacon is diakonos. That's where we get that word deacon from. And diakonos literally means servant. And so deacons are servants. And then when the, the New Testament was translated into Latin, diakonos got translated into ministra, from where we get the word minister. So a deacon is a servant, is a minister. And so if the overseers are meant to be the servant leaders of the church, Deacons are meant to be the leading servants of the church. So these are two offices that are set up in the church. And, and Paul is saying we need to appoint the right type of, of people for these offices to combat this false teaching. Um, this is actually the, the passage that made me want to teach this letter for our men's study this semester. And that might sound kind of weird, like, why would you be so geeked out about the qualifications of an overseer or a deacon? And the reason, as we'll see in just a moment, or hopefully as you already saw as you were doing your readings preparing for tonight, is that as Paul is listing out the qualifications to be a leader in the church, with just a couple of exceptions, he's essentially describing what a mature Christian looks like. Or in other words, he's essentially describing what a mature man looks like. He's describing what it looks like to be a man who fights the good fight. So if, even uh, if you never see yourself or never become an overseer or a deacon of a church one day, these are still qualities that we want to, to embody if we want to be men worth looking up to, if we want to be men who fight the good fight. And so if this is what we should aspire to, if this is what a true hero looks like, if, this, if, if we want to be men worth looking up to, this is who we need to strive to become by God's grace. So let's dig into to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And um, I'm just going to make 
comments as, as we go along here. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach. And so this, this uh, first qualification of an overseer to be above reproach is really a summary statement for the rest of the chapter. This is really the, the header, and then Paul is going to describe in detail what it means to be a man who's above reproach. But before we get into more of the details, let me uh, be clear that what it means to be above reproach is not to be perfect. We know that because in chapter one of the letter, Paul called himself the, the foremost of sinners. So we know that to be above reproach cannot mean to be perfect, but it means that we are not open to attack or criticism. And so then as, as Paul begins to describe in detail what it means to be a man who is above reproach, he says uh, an overseer should be the husband of one wife. And, and probably the most natural way that we tend to read that is Paul is saying that uh, an overseer shouldn't be a polygamist. He shouldn't have uh, more than one wife. Uh, but I think it's more than that. It is certainly that. It's not less than that, but I think it's more than that. So, for example, later on in the letter in 1 Timothy 5.9, Paul is, is uh, giving qualifications on, on how to help widows in the church and, and um, who the, the church should prioritize when and it comes to who to um, support. And he uses the inverse of the phrases he used here in 1 Timothy 3.2. And in 1 Timothy 3.2, the phrase is literally a one-woman man. And then in 1 Timothy 5.9, he says a one-man woman. So polygamy is having more than one wife. Polyandry is having more than one husband. And that was virtually unheard of. So it's highly unlikely that when Paul says a, a one-man woman that he means uh, he, that he's not talking about polyandry. And so conversely then, in, in 1 Timothy 3, 2, it's unlikely that Paul is talking about polygamy. Uh, but again, he's, he's, he's not talking about less than that, but I think he's talking about more than that. I, to be a one-woman man, essentially, it means a man who is faithful to his marriage vows, man who is, is faithful to love his wife through sickness and health, for rich or for poor, to death do them part, that he is faithful in every way. And certainly that, that means that he's not a polygamist. Certainly that means it, it, he's not um, an adulterer. But as we try to bring this teaching home to today, perhaps the most common way we see a violation of, of this principle of being a one-moment man is pornography and this addiction that is, is ravaging uh, men in the church and increasingly women as well. That far before we had the COVID-19 pandemic, we have had a pornography pandemic in the church. And I don't stand here to, to condemn you. I'm a man who was uh, addicted to pornography myself for over a decade. I'm, I'm here to fight with you and to call you to freedom and say that we can find freedom from pornography, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that doesn't just mean 
to forgive us. Again, it's not less than that, but it's more than that. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners from our sin, that we can be free even from addiction to things like pornography. And so if that's you, let me commend two resources to you, um, two, two books by um, very godly gospel-centered pastors. One book is called The Death of Porn by Ray Ortland. And the other one is called Pure in Heart by Garrett Kell. We should have a slide with a couple of, of QR codes. And, and so if that's something that you're, you're struggling with, or frankly, even if you're not, um, I want you to pick up one of those books and start to dig into it. Invite another man in, in your group to, to read through it with you. Read, read a chapter or two a week and just uh, meet together for coffee or lunch and check in on one another how y'all are doing in that battle. Read together learn together, encourage one another, fight together, fight the good fight. Be a one woman man. As Paul continues uh, describing the qualifications of an overseer, he should be above reproach, he should be the husband of one wife, and he should be temperate. And uh, again, the, the natural way to read that is, okay, he, he shouldn't be uh, an alcoholic. Um, and again, I don't think it's less than that, but I think it's more than that. And I think because he, he's gonna say later on in this chapter that an elder or an overseer should not be addicted to much wine. So if he's gonna say that later, he's not gonna say the same thing twice. So I think this is broader. It, it, it's certainly uh, not less than not being addicted to alcohol, but it, it's more than that. It, it means being clear-headed. It means being self-controlled. Likewise, an, an overseer must be prudent. He should be thoughtful. He should be wise. He, he shouldn't be an impulsive, emotional decision maker. He should be clear-headed, self-controlled, thoughtful. Further, he should be respectable. Essentially, he should be well-behaved and dignified. An overseer should be hospitable. Um, the word for hospitable in the original language is philoxenos, philoxenos. Philos is love, so Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And xenos, xenos, is where we get the word xenophobic. So a, a xenophobe is someone who is hostile towards outsiders, towards strangers, towards uh, foreigners. Conversely, an, an overseer, a godly man, should be a philoxenos. He should love outsiders and strangers and foreigners. He should love those not like himself. He should love the outsider, including those outside the faith. First Timothy 3.3, an overseer should not be addicted to wine. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean total abstinence, though that might be the, the right choice for you, that if you are someone who one drink leads to two, leads to three, leads to four, or if you're someone who... When you've had a hard day, your first natural instinct is to grab a bottle or to grab a cigarette or to grab a joint or to go on that website. We need to break free. Remember, Christ Jesus came to save sinners. That, that is not just um, forgiveness, it is freedom. And that we have said all along that to fight the good fight is 
to believe the true gospel, but it doesn't end there, that to fight the good fight is to be transformed by the gospel. So again, I'm not here to, to browbeat you or, or to do what these false legalistic Jewish Pharisees were doing. I'm here to let you know that there is something better, that we have a better rest available to us in Christ and that our peace is found in Christ, not in a bottle or a glass or a cigarette or a joint that the Lord is our resting place. Paul continues that an overseer should not be pugnacious. In other words, he's not looking for a fight. He's not a violent man. Conversely, an an overseer should be gentle. And my guess is, uh, if you were making a list of your top godly manhood traits, if you were listing the traits of that hero that you thought of, my guess is, Gentle probably doesn't make most of our our lists. But remember what we learned last semester in the book of Proverbs, that true strength is gentleness, especially when we've been offended. And that naturally needs to the next point, that an overseer must be peaceable, that he shouldn't be quarrelsome, he shouldn't be uh, constantly bickering with others, that he should be a peacemaker. Paul continues that an overseer must be free from the love of money, so he should not be greedy, he should not be materialistic, he should be content. That if an overseer is a servant leader, that he's he's one who's there to serve the church in his leadership, he has to remember the words of Jesus, that you cannot serve both God and money. He should be fully devoted to service to God and God alone. Paul continues, verse four, an overseer must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? So later on in this this chapter, Paul is gonna describe the church as the household or the family of God. And so Paul is saying that a man should not lead the family of God if he cannot lead his own family. But as we seek to be men who manage our household well, we must do it with dignity, not tyrannical authoritarianism. That we should manage our households well. And that that word manage means to protect and to care for, which certainly includes uh, physical provision and nourishment, but it's more than that. It's also spiritual nourishment. So let me ask you, what are you doing to lead your family? I know that can sound intimidating, but let me assure you that it's not all that complex. It's fairly simple. A few quick, simple things that you can do to lead your family well, to manage your family well. Number one, prioritize your own personal spiritual growth which let me encourage you, you're all doing a great job because you're, you're here tonight investing in your spiritual growth. Keep on, keep fighting. So prioritize your own personal spiritual growth. And then second, prioritize gathering with the church every Sunday, that there is no replacement in the life of a believer than gathering with other saints sitting under the preaching of God's word, praising our God together, reminding ourselves of the gospel even when we don't feel it. 
So prioritize your own personal spiritual growth. Prioritize the gathering of the church every Sunday and let your children see you prioritizing that over other things. And then finally, prioritize sharing scriptural truth with your family. And you may say, well, I'm not a Bible scholar, and that's okay. The low-hanging fruit is just share what you're learning, that on the drive home on on Sundays or, or over lunch on Sundays, just share something that the Lord spoke to you from the sermon that Sunday. And ask your wife and ask your, ask your kids what, what their number one takeaway from the, the service was. Or share with them about what you're learning in this First Timothy study. Hey, I just listened to this podcast. Or hey, I just read this verse. Or hey, I just uh, you know, another guy at my table shared this with me and I thought it was really good, so I wanted to share it with you. So just share uh, what you're learning. Just let your leadership of your family be the natural overflow of your own personal growth. And if, if you want more ideas, I would, I would encourage you to, d- to discuss that with the other men at, at your table and, and, and share with each other ways that you can manage and lead your households well. Paul continues in verse six that the overseer should not be a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the, tempt, uh, into the condemnation incurred by the devil. Uh, in, in short, the overseer should be humble. Again, probably not one of your, your, your top masculine traits if you had just been asked to, to, to write a list, but we want our view of masculinity. We want our view of what it means to be a hero, to be a man that's worth looking up to, shaped by the word, not the world. Paul continues, verse seven, and he, the overseer, must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So in other words, that uh, this fruit, uh, this spiritual fruit in the overseer's life should be evident to all people, even those outside the church, that regardless of what they think of Christianity, they should be able to say, I don't know how I feel about those Christians, but Ken, Dan, Ben, he's a good guy. They should have a good reputation with outsiders. And then Paul goes into the qualifications for deacons. And I'm just going to read this section straight through because, uh, as you'll notice, uh, for the most part, it's, it's, it's a lot similar to, to what we just read. So in verse 8, deacons, uh, if overseers are, are servant leaders, remember deacons are leading servants, deacons, like mice, must be men of dignity not double-tongued, which I liked the way that uh, one commentator described it. He said, uh, those who are double-tongued are are men who say one thing today and another thing tomorrow. So uh, a deacon should not be double-tongued. He should not be addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested and then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women, which uh, I don't have time to go into this, I I think refers to women deacons or deaconesses. Uh, Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus." 
Now, I, I know all these different qualifications can, can kind of be a lot to take in all at, at once, uh, but let me summarize it this way, that if you want to be a hero, if you want to be a man worth looking up for, up to, if you want to be a man who fights the good fight, you need to fight for character. You need to fight to be a man of godly character. So let me encourage you tonight as you're discussing with the table and as you're pondering on these, on these things after tonight to, to review this list. And I want you to identify, okay, of all of these qualifications of an overseer or a deacon, where are you the strongest? And then likewise, I want you to look at this list of qualifications of an overseer and a deacon, and I want you to ask yourself, where am I the weakest? Where do I have the most room for growth? But I don't want you to stop there. Remember, if we're gonna be men who fight the good fight, we need to be men who fight together. So I want you to identify the, the area where you're strongest. I want you to identify the area where you're weakest. And then I want you to reach out to another man around your table. And I want you to schedule a time to, to grab coffee or lunch or a, a phone call with them. And I want you to share what, what the Lord is putting on your heart. Hey, this is where I'm feeling strong. This is where I'm feeling weak. And then I, I, I want you to encourage one another that as you're, you're sitting across the table from the man, I want you to encourage them that this is where I see strength in you. This is where I see godly character in you. And I want you to confess where, where you're falling short, where you need help. Remember what Jeremiah taught us a few weeks ago at Shop Talk, that if we're gonna be men who fight the good fight, we need to be men who are honest with God and men who are honest with one another. And he taught us from James chapter five, that if we wanna be men who fight the good fight, we need to be men who confess our sins one to another so that we may be healed. And so where are you strongest? Where do you have room to grow? Confess that and encourage one another. And remember that we don't grow in character by pulling ourselves up from our own boot, by our own bootstraps. We don't um, grow in character by gritting our teeth and trying harder, but we grow in our character by being transformed by the gospel. That we grow to be men of character as we realize how much we have been forgiven we can be forgiving. As my friend Rhett said the other day, that when you realize how much you have been given spiritually, you realize it doesn't matter how much you have or don't have materially. That as you realize how amazing our God is and how amazing the, the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone is, you can't help but talk about those things with your wife and kids. And as you realize the joy and the peace and the hope found in Christ, you don't have to run to a bottle or pornography, which always fails to deliver on its promises. That if you wanna be a man who fights the good fight, fight for character. And then secondly, if you wanna be a man who fights the good fight, we need to fight for character and we need to fight for truth. 
I, I know we blew past it. I, frankly, I think I forgot to read it. Uh, but the last part of verse two, that the only qualification that is explicit of an overseer that is absent in the list of qualifications for a deacon is the ability to teach. So the, the overseers are the servant leaders of the church and the primary way that they lead and shepherd the flock is through teaching, that they exposit the scriptures to the congregation and they, they pass along the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And Paul is gonna describe uh, this, this truth in, in detail as, as we continue the chapter in just a moment, but he's, he's been summarizing uh, the faith all throughout, that in, in 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ summarized the, the faith once for all delivered to the saints as Christ Jesus coming into the world to save sinners. And then in chapter two, verses five and six, he summarized the true gospel saying that there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. And to be clear, this, this exhortation that an overseer must be able to teach doesn't mean that he's a charismatic public speaker it means that he is a man who knows and proclaims the true gospel and calls out when, when people are preaching a gospel other than the true gospel. We know this because of the parallel passage in Titus 1.9 where Paul says that an elder or an overseer must be able to teach and then he defines this. He says that to be able to teach means both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict one another. So the, uh, the one who is able to teach is one who teaches the true gospel and refutes false teachers. And then Paul, as he summarized the faith earlier in the letter, gives another summary of the Christian faith in 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm a, a delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world and taken up into glory. And so in these verses, we find the thesis statement of the entire letter that Paul is writing to Timothy so that Timothy would promote right belief and that this right belief would lead to right behavior. Because the church, the family of God is the guardian of this truth, this, this faith once for all delivered to the saints. And then Paul cites what is likely an early church creed. Now, uh, there's some ambiguity here, but I'll give you my best take on, on verse 16. So he who was revealed in the flesh, I think this is a reference to the incarnation that in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, God became man. He was revealed in the flesh and he was vindicated in the spirit. And I think based on Romans 1.9, this is a reference to Jesus' resurrection, which of course, by implication, also includes his death. Jesus was seen by the angels, and, and angels can mean spiritual beings, but it doesn't necessarily mean spiritual beings. The word angel, angelos, just means messenger, 
And so it can be a, a spiritual being who's sent to deliver a message, but it can be a, a human who is, is sent to deliver a message. And who have we encountered so far in this letter who is an authoritative messenger? The Apostle Paul himself. So I think uh, this, this reference to being seen by angels is a reference to the apostles who we know were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. And so I, I think the, the, the flow of thought is that Jesus descended and became man He resurrected from the grave, and this resurrection, the historicity of the resurrection is affirmed by these eyewitnesses, the apostles. And as as it uh, continues, uh, this good news, this true gospel about Jesus Christ is proclaimed among all the nations that the apostles who saw the resurrected Christ did what Christ commanded them to do in the great commission at the end of Matthew 28, that they proclaimed the gospel of resurrection to all nations. And then as the gospel was proclaimed to all nations, it was believed on in the world. So as the gospel was proclaimed by the the apostles, many received this salvation by grace through faith. And then finally, Jesus was taken up into glory, which is a reference to the ascension of Jesus after his resurrection to the right hand of God the Father in heaven, from which he shall come again to judge the living and the dead in glory. So if you wanna be a man who fights the good fight, if you wanna be a hero, if you wanna be a man worth looking up to, you need to fight for truth. So let me ask you another question. What are you doing or can you be doing to be a man who's growing in your knowledge of the truth? And as I've often tried to do throughout this study, let me commend uh, some low-hanging fruit to you. First, and, and perhaps most obviously, are, are the daily readings that are part of this study. If, that, if you have not been doing those, let me encourage you to start. Or if you have been, but it's been you know, five minutes real quick in the parking lot before you walk in here, let me encourage you to, to really make some time for this, to prioritize this, to, to not just read the scriptures, but to, to, to allow time to sit there to ponder them and to meditate on them to jot down thoughts and questions about them. And then the the second thing I wanted to commend to you, another resource that we have around here is what we call Grow Classes, which are essentially short-term Grow groups, but they're they're organized instead of around a neighborhood or a a meeting day and time, they're, they're classes and groups that are organized around a particular subject. And so we have classes on the Trinity. We have classes on uh, developing spiritual habits. And our, our flagship GROW class going on this semester is the class that we call Bible Reading Basics. And just as it says, this, this class is going to just orient you to the Bible, that this is how the Bible is, is organized and, and put together. And then it's gonna go into the the story of scripture, give you a big picture understanding of the sweep of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And then it's gonna equip you with tools to add to your tool belt on on how to inductively study the Bible through observation, interpretation, and application. 
That class is meeting on Sunday mornings. Uh, They've had one introductory session so far, but it's not too late to jump in. So let me encourage you to sign up for that Bible Reading Basics class. We should have a slide um, that we can throw up later on uh, to get you there. But sign up for our Bible Reading Basics class. Grow in your knowledge of the truth. Because if you want to be a, a hero, if you want to be a man who's worth looking up to, Don't listen to what the world says. Look at what the word says. And the word tells us that if we want to be men who fight the good fight, if we want to be heroes, if we want to be men worth looking up to, men whom God would be proud to have leading and serving in his church, we need to be men who fight for character and men who fight for truth. That the true gospel is about forgiveness of sin but the true gospel is also about freedom from sin. So fight for a character. Have an honest conversation with one of the men at your table this week. Encourage one another and confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. And fight for truth. Start by spending sufficient time on the First Timothy readings and, and join us for the Bible Reading Basics class on Sunday mornings. Fight the good fight. Fight for character and fight for truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son to to be our savior, to not only offer forgiveness, though that would be enough to praise you forevermore, Lord, but to send your son to save us from our sins, to give us freedom from our sins. And we're asking God that as these truths that we are reading and studying and meditating on and discussing, Lord, these truths of the true gospel penetrate our hearts, Lord, that you would transform us from the inside out, that we would be men of character and that we would be men of truth, men who understand and joyfully proclaim the true gospel. We can't do it on our own, Lord. Forgive us for even trying. We can do it only by your grace, Lord. So grace us, Lord, with what we need, Lord, to be transformed from the inside out. Help us be men who encourage the spiritual fruit we see in others and help us be bold and vulnerable enough to confess where we're falling short, Lord, that men who confess our sins one to another, that we may be healed, Lord. And thank you, Lord, that as we fight the good fight, as we we fight to be men of character and men of truth, we thank you that we don't have to go it alone, that we have men, a band of brothers with us in this fight, Lord. Help us keep fighting. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Men, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Faith Bridge Men podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe so you can catch future episodes and help us spread the good news by rating and reviewing the podcast and sharing this episode with another man who would be helped by the content. And we will catch you next time on the Faith Bridge Men podcast. Until then, keep fighting the good fight.